rather than thinking, what position do I want to be in? Or what status do I want? Or what salary do I want to be on? Think, what do I want my day to look like? Mm-hmm. Because that's far more important and far more immediate than any of these kind of second order things recover from. So being able to to recognize like, okay, I'm doing enough for this goal and actually adding more is not going to be helpful. How can I take these units of energy and input and turn them into something that's going to be more productive? And I think in most athletes case, that's going to be, how can I recover harder? A lot of it is just about managing our behavior and staying accountable even to ourselves, like you said, with your calendar to just make sure that we turn up and do the thing. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another brand new Rugby Muscle podcast. As always, TJ, and today we've got Yusuf from Propane Fitness joining us. Uh, Yusuf, do you even know like much about rugby itself before oh, we even man. get into it? Last time I played rugby was when I was made to at school <laughs> in, in the winter. I've just got bad memories of being freezing and like when you get like kicked in the ear or in the, like, oh. or in the hand or something and you, you, you yep. just... Yeah. What position did you there. play? Uh, fullback. <laughs> That's even the worst. <laughs> I remember playing so many games at school where it would just was freezing it down and they'd make like some of the footballers come play because that was the only way we could get a team. And the poor the poor bastards standing at fullback or on the wing would just freeze because we weren't good enough to pass it out to the wing. Yeah, but, uh, that was exactly it. it and, and combined with the fact that I can't catch a ball for for any amount of money. And, uh, it was just, yeah, it was one of those things that was like, if it's, if it's too cold, you have to do cross country running. If it's just cold, you got to play rugby. And <laughs> I wasn't built for it either as a, as a kid. So yeah, oh, I've not got good memories of it. I used to hate cross country running so much because I would be, uh, s- slow and fat enough that I'd be in the fat group, but, <laughs> Or, or no, I was too fast to be in in the fat group. Sorry, but I was the slowest of the the, the non fat people. It was a just a complete nightmare. It's and now looking back, I'd love I'd love fishing. to do cross country. Really? It, oh, yeah. it was like it was the teachers' cop out. I thought like when they couldn't be bothered, they were like, "Right, guys, just go and run around the field and come back in three hours." Yeah, definitely. I think that's also like why rugby sort of dropped down in, in schools as well because it's a lot it's one of the most harder ones to one of the most harder ones one of the most complicated sort of sports and risky to teach especially with all the controversy that's going on so obviously rugby is not why we've got you on the podcast um got you on the podcast because well i mean you, you've accomplished a fair bit and i'll sort of want to as what i've been doing with this podcast is just pick the brains of people that i find interesting that i think all of our listeners will get lessons from and there is a lot of shared sort of um, thought processes that go behind it but um, could you describe who you are and what you do in like two sentences and then I'll probably feed off of that and uh, big you up even more sure so thank you for having me on by the way and I think you guys will have to excuse my bunged up voice at the minute I've got a bit of a head cold I've got a negative COVID test today so um, so I am a COVID negative uh doctor gymnast powerlifter and the the what's kind of brought tj and myself together i think was that me and my business partner johnny set up a online coaching company a few years ago 
And over time, we've pivoted as well into helping coaches build their online presence. Um, so there's definitely stuff that we can discuss about kind of selling your expertise, um, as well as the, the journey that's accidentally led us to this point. Yeah. Um, it's definitely what sort of drew me to what you guys do, but, but more like you specifically for this, how I think you'll be useful in this podcast is like sort of the, the real diverse realms that you've sort of achieved expertise in because you weren't all, you're a medical doctor, but obviously you're a fitness business owner and now you're a fitness business business owner. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when you're talking about strength training, um, you've accomplished a shit ton in, in, in those sort of realms, as well as, you know, not just powerlifting, but as you said, gymnast, and those are sort of seem to be competing goals. And then we've also got the other side, the real yin side of things where it's, uh, you've done meditation retreats, I believe. And it's like, all of these uh, sort of diverse realms like seem to be something that one a person would use as one area or or one thing, and that would be their identity. So that you know, you get a lot of people that consider themselves powerlifters, or they consider themselves a doctor, or they consider themselves whatever. Um, you seem to have tried to achieve as many different things in as many different diverse realms as you can. Like, are there any? Is there any sort of reasons for that like what two two or three things could you attribute that to i would put it down to greed to be honest (laughs) greed and obsessional curiosity Um, i appreciate the 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 kind words about that i think a lot of it just comes from wanting to perpetually turn over lots of stones and be like oh what's under this and what's under this and and although there's there's a lot of value in going deep and hard into something and going to the kind of the elite level, I think there are diminishing returns. And with most things you can get to say 80% of expert level Mm -hmm. in a lot shorter time than a lot of people think. And so I think now I'm very, very grateful that we have the luxury to do that with the internet, with the, just the, the pace of information and, availability of stuff that we can do now that we can look at anything you want to get better at unpick the fundamental principles of it and just go to town with it and so i think really for me it it is just greed it's just wanting to um to just taste a bit of every pie um it's kind of like turning up at a buffet and you see there's so much stuff available that you're just like oh man what what about this and how how does this interact with this Mm -hmm. and and then as a result, I guess the, the the businesses and the the kind of social media stuff that comes about as a secondary effect is really just a function of documenting and monetizing the the reading and the the journey that you do. And I think everybody has some specific expertise in a certain field. Particularly you, for example, you and, and yours is a kind of overlap and like a Venn diagram of two areas that normally have their own dogma and set of rules and principles mm-hmm. that, you know, that rugby does. And then, but there's the world of strength training. And I, and actually I think both worlds have a lot to learn from each other and very few people are kind of overlapping the two properly. So I think yeah. there's a lot to be. Yeah. I think, I think, um, 
where where your buffet analogy sort of falls short though i think is that like you you say that you you know you you don't want to go deep but in order to get to 80 percent, you can't it's not a case of and i think this is where most people run into problems and again this is the sort of the the layover to rugby strength and condition is like when you've got all these different diverse realms and, you know, and we'll look at like a sport like crossfit where people try to do everything at the same time that tends to never work and what i think what you've done is you'll get enough you, you'll go deep enough just to get to 80 percent but then if you go any deeper like it becomes like you say it's like that it's like that that curve of uh diminishing returns or whatever like once you get to 80 percent everything every every single percent high you try to achieve of mastery is just like exponentially more difficult so much and it has to cannibalize other parts of yourself too and so i think exactly as you say knowing when to stop with something is probably harder than doing the thing itself so in in the analogy in the strength analogy like someone who wants to go from body weight bench press yeah so so something like that like yeah you, you look at someone who's like they've never set foot in a gym and you say mate like if you just got from zero to a 60 kilogram bench press you'd be doing all right mm-hmm. and then if you took that from a 60 to 100 kilogram bench press you'd look quite muscular take that from a you know 100 to a 140 so three plates you'd be doing really well taking that from there to 180 and then to 220 like then you start to really run into like the amount of weight that you'd have to gain to to maintain those strength gains and the shoulder injuries that you're putting yourself at risk of and all that stuff it starts to really start to impact that same with rugby that you could say the same with squats you know going from one plate to two plates it's going to help with your running speed your jump height your explosiveness but by the time you're squatting 300 kilos like you're so specialized that it's it's not worth the trade-off <clears throat> this is this is the thing that no one wants to hear as well. Like you said, it is actually, it's weird, but it is probably the most difficult thing. The amount of like big, heavy, strong guys that are naturally like, or they're not, maybe they're not naturally, maybe they've worked their ass off to get that strong. They're so eager to keep doing that because that's what's got them to the dance. But at the end of the day, like I've said to so many people, I'm like, in theory, like, I'm not going to say to do this because you enjoy your training, but you could literally not go do any weightlifting for the next two years and you would still make progress. So people don't want to hear that because they're, they're very scared of, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe the work they've put in, losing that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I think the other part of that is, as you say, if you've got someone who's like identifies as the, the yeah. big strong guy or whatever, he leans into what's easy for him. And you see the same if if you've if anyone listening's ever been to like a yoga class, and you'll have like the flexible girls will go and sit at the front and they'll do a hamstring stretch, just and it's because it, that's where they're comfortable. Like they don't the last thing they need to be doing is a hamstring stretch, but they're doing it because it's it's partly showing yeah. off and it's partly leaning into their strengths. When really doing the kind of grisly horrible stuff that we know is is our weakness is really where the the gains come but it's quite unpleasant to train that stuff for sure and and it's quite uh it's an unpleasant like splash of water on the face to say right this is so much harder to get any further why even bother like why not just change not necessarily completely flip the goal on its head or or whatever but 
look for somewhere else that you might actually get a lot more fruit. So I think, did you, so were you, were you in finance before you became a, a doctor? Yeah. So I, I worked in, in, in an investment bank or a asset management firm okay. before, and before what, medicine. What, uh, what flipped that? What made that decision? Like had you, had you got to your 80% of a financial mastery? Uh, I, I don't know about that. I think finance goes pretty deep, but yeah. uh, I read a, a chapter in a book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Dada. And there was a part in there that was talking about your life purpose kind of falling away like layers of an onion. And at each stage in your life, the outer layer kind of falls off or it becomes like crispy and, and hold. And mm -hmm. if you try and hold on to that outer layer, you're not being authentic to your to yourself. And it was saying that whatever you're doing in your life has to kind of go through this natural evolution. And the longer that you hold on to something that's not in line with your purpose, the more people sense that inauthenticity. Mm -hmm. And so the I, th I think the other chapter was live as though your father was dead. And the idea there is not about your physical father, but the point is we often do a lot of things. We make a lot of career decisions and life decisions based on what our culture and our society and our religion and all these things have been telling us to do. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to live in, in the shadow of getting approval from society rather than following what our purpose is. And so you just thought like, why, why am I helping people out with money? This isn't important. I want to help people with their health. Yeah. It was kind of a, a continuation of the the stuff that we've been doing with propane which is our which is our coaching company that it's the the fundamental model there is that you've got someone who you're helping optimize their their body by applying a body of evidence and series of recommendations to them and so kind of the the natural consequence of that is clinical medicine mm -hmm. um Maybe you could argue more of a kind of American style functional medicine rather than like, it, it depends on, on what, what turns you on as a doctor, I think. And there are, there are some doctors that love like ITU and um, emergency medicine because they're taking someone who's like the legs falling off and, you know, stabilizing mm -hmm. them and getting stitching it back on or whatever. That stuff doesn't excite me very much. I much prefer taking someone from functional to optimal. Mm -hmm. Don't know why. I just find that yeah. more of an exciting prospect. Uh, but again, that's, that's almost like what we were talking about before. It's like, it's, it's not helping that. It's not helping someone from get to, from five to 20, <clears throat> but it's helping someone who's already functional get to a little bit better. So yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, so was studying to be a doctor, was that like probably if you look back on all your accomplishments of, of what you've done and uh, you know, I say accomplishments because I guess they are like, you should be proud of, of what you've achieved. So would being a doctor itself be probably the hardest combination of all of those things? It, it took me by surprise, to be honest. I think I was a bit, a bit arrogant going into it thinking like, Oh, well, I've done a degree before and I, I got a first. And so I'm, you know, I'm smart enough. It'll be all right. I can, I can breeze through this. And it fully had my ass out like within within the first term of the first year of medicine, it was more, more stuff to learn and harder than more workload in general than the entire four year degree that I'd done mm -hmm. before. So, um, it just, 
forces you beyond what you thought that you were, you were capable of. And I suppose you, you have to do that. Otherwise it's, it's, uh, if you fail in any of the, the points of the exam there, they're pretty brutal with either making you the repeat the year or, or you're just out Jesus. entirely. Um, so yeah, the, a lot of people liken it to drinking from a fire hose, but I think this, this brings us on to the, another answer for what you were saying about kind of picking a, picking a skill or a, a field and nailing as much as you, as much as you can of it. A lot of this is to do with letting go of that intellectual arrogance and saying there are institutions that have existed for centuries and iterations of, of, of that field in the past led by very smart people and loads of scientists and uh, people driving the field forward. And they've turned it into a system and that system is larger than any individual person right now. So you can enter a system and come out the other end, basically having been like morphed into the, the shape that that system has, has, has pushed you through. And it's designed, I mean, in medicine particularly, it's designed as a, a bit of a conveyor belt, but you come out the other end as a, like, like a, best prepared you know, to do that thing. In yeah, a way, yeah, exactly. You're a walking set of algorithms. And so I think finding a system or a framework that has, is able to produce the result that you're looking for and just diving in with it and letting, letting go of the, the idea of like, Oh, I should be able to just figure this out on my own. And in fact, leveraging the idea that other people are far smarter than, than I could ever hope to be. And actually if I put myself in their hands and come out the other end, then I've upgraded myself. You think that's why we get a lot of um, nutritionists, not dietitians especially, but nutritionists in particular, or personal trainers that have been on some sort of weekend course or did one module on nutrition that tend to be so arrogant because they've not even touched that system. Like, because they always, you know, you know, about people that will say, oh, listen to me, don't listen to your doctor. Or they say, you know, your personal trainer is more important than your doctor. And the only argument I've ever heard for that to be maybe like, relatable is that they say you know how often does if you if you're a personal trainer and you see a client two or three times a week how often is your are they seeing their doctor nowhere near enough so that makes you more of a but but yeah that's a stupid argument i get it but yeah i see what you're saying i think there's a there's always the right tool for the job and certainly some people go to the right. doctor. It's a completely different doctor. job. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. You know, yeah. you, um, you'll have someone go to the GP and they say, I want to lose weight. And the GP's got seven minutes with them and they don't, they don't know them. And they've got a whole bunch of medical conditions and a bunch of emotional trauma that's led them to be obese. And you're like, well, what, what can the, what can the GP really do for that person? Um, and so, yeah, it, I guess it's about finding the right tool for the job. And I think personal trainers and, um, nutritional coaches definitely have their their place for that mm -hmm. but i think what you're what you're describing there is when someone's done like a level three sort of group on um pt course and then thinks that that they can like yeah. give out medical advice that's just the dunning kruger effect in full force isn't yeah, it? yeah we've so discussed the, the dunning kruger effect a few times uh, on this podcast so people should be uh, familiar with it you know it's it is that weird level of complete arrogance for, but just because you, and it's not malicious. It's just that you have no idea how much you don't know. And and maybe there was a little bit of that arrogance in you when you went to to do your your 
medical oh, uh, doctor. Hundred yeah. percent. It it fully fully humbled me. But um, but yeah, exactly. And I, I think the the Dunning Kruger effect is effect is basically watching Tiger Woods swing a golf club about on a on a field and being like, oh, he's just got a stick and hitting a ball. Like I could do that. It doesn't look too bad. And then you go and try it, and you're like, oh, okay, this is more difficult than I'd even anticipated. Yeah. And, and to even tie that back to what we were talking about earlier, I think when we're talking about the achievements and getting to 80% of mastery and all of that, like I think also once you get to 80%, you should be at a level where you appreciate how hard it is to achieve 100%. Because you like that's, and, and that's sort of what allows you to then realize that you probably want to pivot is your appreciation for, how good, like the amount of, um, and now I'm going to throw some shade at the uh, United States rugby players that, or just newbies in general, really, but that, that, you know, you get good athletes that come into a sport and they think, well, you know, I'm this much of an athlete, I should be able to make professional. And you don't realize like anywhere near how hard it it, it is to actually achieve that level. And like, I imagine the, the better the that you get to go at in. rugby, the more you see the pros and, and, like have a kind of deeper appreciation for for what they're capable of for sure there is that there's definitely that and there's like but even then it's like it's one of those sports where like the better it looks the simpler it still does look you don't and you're never you're never appreciating all the little things and also because in rugby versus like in individual sports you're there's so much chaos because you're one of 15 people on your team so you, it's very easy and, and, I, and I've, I've done this chat with uh, the team that I've been working with and also with uh, my guys that are members but like it's so easy to go into it and blame everyone else and not look at your own mistakes because and then even if it's none uh, I mean even if everyone on your team you think was perfect you can also still then blame the ref there's and then there's also so many different areas that the game can go wrong for you and that just can be, like have a negative momentum effect and it's so but it's like it could be physicality it could be tactical it could be your skills it could be your uh physicality in the close quarters versus your physicality with speed uh, it could be your fitness and there's so many different areas that it's very easy to like not appreciate the finer details if that's so makes many sense. moving parts to it yeah well the, there's a uh i think it was for american football where this news company basically looked looked out for people tweeting at like NFL players and being like, mm. Oh, what an idiot. Like, can't believe you missed that shot. I could have made that from halfway. Um, and so they went and found them and invited them into a stadium. Oh, Didn't awesome. tell them what they were, <laughs> what they were telling, <laughs> what they invited them for. And they were like, so um, on 20th of August, I see that you tweeted, uh, oh, that's awesome. uh, Neil Crum, uh, he's a dick. I could have made that shot. And he's like, so here's the ball set up from the same distance that he was. Would you like to have a go? And they yeah. all absolutely fucked it. Of course they did. And it's like, but that's, that's where rugby is a little bit like great, but sort of it's, it's not the same as it's not as quantifiable and easier to break down as like, like powerlifting. We, we did an episode a, a few weeks back on what powerlifters can teach sort of rugby players. And one of the things was like, what's good about powerlifting is that, if there's a breaking point in any given lift and it's a simpler sport, but even then you can make it even simpler by looking at each different lift and then breaking those down and figuring out exactly where it's going wrong. And you can really 
sort of algorithm the whole process in fact that's what's been done like i know uh chad wesley smith has got a program out where it's just it's ai everything is ai driven and they know where you're missing lifts because of how your other lifts are going um because it's and even that makes it kind of it the simplest sport of you've got to squat you've got to bench you've got a deadlift can still like it can it's it's so simple that it can be solved by an algorithm but that algorithm is not simple you know yeah that you can break anything down into its component parts and yeah and the level of detail just kind of fractally expands more and more yeah and and like i think i don't know how we got onto this but that that's sort of like if you in, in imagine that versus that you actually imagine the sport of rugby and how many different diverse things can go right or wrong in that and how how wide that scope is but then that, like, I think that also goes back to, okay, we can we can bring this back to you uh, being a doctor and saying that, like, there's that wide level of sort of things that people can have go wrong with their health and why they might see a doctor in the first place. And I guess, like, is that something that, every, like, this, and this is a criticism people have is of GPs is because they know so much, it's hard to see, sort of see where the breaking point is uh, you know, especially if you say you're only seeing someone for five minutes and, and getting, you're only getting symptoms. You're not getting too much causal data either. Yeah. And the, uh, I think a lot of people maybe expect too much from their GPs, like the, the purpose of a GP from a medical perspective. And it, it's a shame that the whole medical system has to be defensive, but you know, all of the documentation and, um, a lot of the ways that medicine is practiced is, to cover your back because of how litigious people are becoming I mean, much, much yeah. more so in the States. Like if you go, if you go to the, the U S with a broken finger, you'll let, you'll come out with a, a CT of your head, <laughs> thorax, abdomen, pelvis, like, you know, they, they'll do any investigation they can justify for the cash. Yeah. Whereas UK the financial incentives are a bit different, but you're still, it's still kind of defensive in that way. So a GP's job is, to identify in those five minutes is what this person's coming to me with presenting with something dangerous. Are they, do they need, need further referral? It's not necessarily, can I get to the root of like, what is the thing causing this person's problem? Like great if we can, but there's thousands of things, which we don't know why something's happening. And we're like, well, it's not going to kill you. So I'm afraid you're kind of on your own. And that's where someone who has more time with a patient is a lot more um, better placed to, to support that person, particularly when a lot of the kind of low grade grumbling physical complaints that people have, have a huge psychological element to it. And so I know a chiropractor who he's a bit of a self hating chiropractor, actually, because he doesn't, he doesn't like the, the field in itself. He feels it's a bit quacky, but he kind mm -hmm. of, he's trained as one. And he says 50% or more of the patients that come through his door are really just coming for mental health issues, kind of expressing as a musculoskeletal complaint. And because he's got half an hour with them or an hour, they can sit and chat to him and, and they come out feeling better about their problem because they've, you know, they've been cared for for that hour mm -hmm. compared to the GP who's basically not looking at you, Googling stuff and then issuing you a prescription, sending you out the door. Yeah, it's that's that's fascinating actually because it is it's one of those things like the placebo effect is still an effect and if someone if someone feels like they're getting treated 
then that's almost as good as actually getting treated. Obviously not if you've got a hernia or something, but uh, there is a there is that to it. So then I guess that would be one of the criticisms you could throw at the whole sort of medical system is that like it gets this conveyor belt. But unfortunately now we're seeing how all these other areas can sort of be somewhat superior. Um, you know, and, and the other criticism I've seen is like, and, and sort of the one I thought of myself and actually experience is that like medical system is very good at stopping people from dying, but yeah. it's not good at bringing someone from, if we're going to go back to the analogy, you know, from 30% to 50% and it's terrible. And, and, and the higher up that mastery scale of, of being a healthy person, you go, the worse it kind of is. Right. Cause it's, as you say, it's a defensive um, mechanism. Yeah, it, exactly. And you, you think you nailed it, that the medical system is there to prevent you dying. Like, by the time you're in a hospital, you have you should really be... But even then, like, time. prevent you dying that week or, or <laughs> that, you're right, like, or that month. It's not, like, because life is, like, being a healthy person is with the objective, really, of stopping you from dying or at least giving you the most quality of life for when you are alive, Right. It, it's a hard pill to swallow, pardon the pun there, that, <laughs> That's people, that people need to be able to kind of take responsibility for their health and, you know, that their long-term health outcomes are not something that you can just take the mick with your body for 50 years and then turn up at the doctor and say, ah, it's your problem now, can you sort me out? Like, there's a very limited scope that someone can do to undo 50 years of abuse to your organs, you know? <laughs> so, um, and I think... It, this this the generation that we're in is much more is much better with this like i think that the youth of today do take responsibility over their health but the the kind of impression of doctors from our parents and our grandparents is that they could maybe that they're kind of gods and that they can do more than we actually think that they can mm -hmm. it it, but is it also probably the circles that we're surrounded, like rather than a generational thing? You don't think it's just the fact that you know you're in, you you, you have a fitness business, and I, I, I have, I'm the same thing because I find that like we think that, but I'm sure you've seen having been a GP for some time that that's actually not the case at all. Yeah, you, you you're right. I'm kind of tarring people with the with the same brush there, but certainly there is a difference in the type of people that come to you for coaching because they're, oh, yeah. they're very, you know, they're willing, they're putting money on the line. They are so motivated to engage and do what you do, what you advise. And that's so different to people who kind of, and I, I do wonder partly whether this is just because of the, the way the econ the economics of it is set up. If there's that kind of question that if it cost 50 pounds to go to A and E, would it change the kind of things people are coming in with? You'd end up with problems of both sides. You'd have more false positives and more false negatives. But, um, you know, because you'd have people who just think, oh, well, it's 50 quid, so whatever, I'll just go for a free, uh, I'll go for a physical. Um, but then people who are kind of sitting on stuff and don't can't afford to or whatever won't end up getting through the system. So it's a very hard one to solve. Well, the, the answer to that is sat across the uh, other side of the Atlantic from you because, like, that's it's genuinely a case in, in the States. Is like, I, uh, one of my, in our rugby uh, WhatsApp group, 
one guy um, sent a picture to to the group with a guy who had a big old cut in his head. And he says, so do we think this requires stitches? <laughs> you know, everyone weighed in and said, blah, blah, blah. And then, I, and then it dawned on me that they're debating whether this guy should go to A&E because he can't be bothered to pay for it or not. And it's yeah. like, that's not a thought that happens anywhere else. Rugby so, players are the worst for this as well. Like yeah. whenever I've dealt with rugby players in <laughs> A&E, they're only there because the coach made them or they're yeah. just like, oh, no, I'm fine. And you're like, I've got to check you out here. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, and from a medical doctor's perspective, again, if your objective is to give you the least chance of dying, the solution would be stop playing this sport, right? Um, so I think like that goes into line of sort of what I'm thinking anyway, is that people that listen to this podcast, people that find coaching, we're still like in the massive minority because that's not, you know, uh, I think I've said this on the podcast, if not, I've said it on a, a Q and a before, but I've had a few guys like over lockdown, really not sure. They're like, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm making the progress I need to, like I'm going to come back. I'm really worried about getting back to preseason. And every time they've done that, or every person that's done that has come back and been like, oh my God, I'm so much better than everyone else. Because for every person that's actually put in the work, there's also two or three people that have discovered a deep fat fire or that have, uh, <laughs> you know, or have literally not been bothered and just waited. And then the, obviously the longer that you wait to go to the gym, the easier it is just to never go. And the harder it is to restart every single time. Um, and so like the tendency is to be hard on ourselves, but really even just the fact that you're someone that's proactively seeking a solution that puts you on a better, like you got to understand that you're already in a different category, right? Yeah, that's true. Even just turning up, like you're already, you're already winning in that sense. Yeah. And you're, you're taking that 40, getting to 60%, you know, you're putting that 60 kilos on the, on the barbell to, to get started. So yeah, that would be one of my criticisms. And the, the other criticism of the that doctoral system, uh, the churn or, or whatever you called it, um, uh, the conveyor belt, sorry, is the the medical shifts. And we've got, I've got some shift workers that I work with um, and it is just a complete nightmare to try and sort of organize stuff. Um, can you speak to, well, firstly, I guess the absurdity that, those that we are relying on for our own health are like, surely they're massively compromising their own life quality by being subjective to the shifts that doctors get put, put through. Massively. Or, There's two layers of irony with that, isn't there? The first one is that night shifts are proven to be unhealthy. Like they, they shorten your lifespan. People who work night shifts have shorter lives. They have worse health outcomes. And, so to, you know, it's kind of unavoidable. I guess you have to have someone that covers a hospital at night, but yeah, that's ironic in itself. But the other mm. problem is the switching between days and nights is the thing that kills me particularly. Yeah. And you're operating on what feels like 40% of your brain capacity by the third night or the fourth night. And when your job is to assimilate large amounts of information and try and make decisions and rely on your working memory and all those things are compromised because you're sleep deprived. It's ridiculous. It, it is so ironic. There's a huge amount of um, data showing people have more that have higher risk of cardiac events, of car crashes, of 
mistakes of all kinds of problems when they're sleep deprived. And uh, there was someone in my hospital actually who he was a registrar who died on the way home from work after a night shift, just driving home. And um, I don't know if he fell asleep at the wheel or if he was just, you know, pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it is silly. And I think part of it, we always want to try and find like a way to kind of biohack out of night shifts. But at the end of the day, as soon as I'm able to, I'm going to try and opt out of them or, or not. Well, that it dictates the kind of specialties that I would want to train in because I just don't think there's any amount of wage that would make it worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're literally sacrificing your life. And if it's not the quality, well, it is the quality, but it's also the quantity. Both, both have been proven. Right. And it's that, and what you said is it's the, it's not just, if you just did a night shift and that was it, I'm like, Yes, you need daylight, but we can sort of reverse engineer some of that and, and figure out ways to, to live just, you know, your eight hours getting, getting those during the day and figuring that out. But it's the, it's the complete shift in between the hours. So I'm assuming that's what you, you have to do as well. So how have you managed to, like, not only not get, have people die on your watch as a, res, as a direct result of the whole system, but also you know, still run a fitness business, keep in shape yourself, um, are there any sort of tips uh, that you would give to people that struggle with that? Yeah, it's not something I'd recommend. Uh, right. So, <laughs> firstly, yeah, yeah, no, it's a genuinely really important <laughs> point. Is like, and people don't want to hear it, but it is like, change, like, find another job. Like, yeah. you can do that. Like, that is possible. You know, there are many other jobs in the world. You don't have to, like, pe- people don't have to do shift work. Like, if it's because it is that deleterious to, everything yeah i this is it this is it i think a lot of people will they feel like there's a sense of bravado or admitting defeat or um just being like no no like hustle and grind like i can do this and if i had the choice i certainly wouldn't you know it's just ended up that i've got a two-year contract as a hospital doctor that i have to finish before Mm -hmm. um you know well and luckily i'm very fortunate to have to be working with a great team uh, of people who are kind of picking up some of the slack with propane. But yeah, so I think number one is pick the, the life that you Well, want even then, to. because you've got your light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. I think without that, something would have to give for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the way to look at this is you might not be able to have the perfect day set up from the outset, but look at the trajectory of your career in five years time or in 10 years time. And rather than thinking what position do I want to be in or what status do I want or what salary do I want to be on? Think, what do I want my day to look like? Mm-hmm. Because that's far more important and far more immediate than any of these kind of second order things. Cause if your day looks great, it doesn't really matter what the number on your paycheck is or what, what the title on your email signature is because these are all things which they're not going to help you sleep at night. So I think having a hard look at your life and saying, okay, is my current trajectory taking me to the ideal day setup for me? And if not, as you say, you've, you've got a, a range of choices. You can, you can change that trajectory. That's like 
a lot more profound an answer than I, I was expecting, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I was expecting, um, you know, because what I've done with some of my shift workers is like, look at the, ne- you know, map out the next two weeks, okay, wherever you can be consistent and most rested, bank some of that for sleep and some of that for recovery, but then also figure out when you are going to be stressed, maybe that's when you get your training sessions in. Just be proactive about it. But you've taken the, a, sensible. a bigger step back and said, okay, let's be proactive about not just the next two weeks, but your whole fucking life, mate. Like, <laughs> let's <laughs> well, look at what do you, no, but it's right. Continue. It's it's true. Like you, we have this choice and it's sometimes scary that we have this choice, but, and that's sort of, I guess you could even go back to the very start of this conversation where we said, you know, you were stuck in finance. It was, it's very scary to say, actually, fuck, this isn't making me happy. This isn't what I want to do. I'm going to, what does make me happy or what would make me serve a life of purpose is being a doctor. Okay. And then let's go do that. And it's the same thing with, with your life, right? Like if you're having, if you're saying, if you're saying to us that you want to train and you're, you're living a life where you do not have the time to train. Like we could, you know, the amount of personal trainers that say that's just an excuse. It's not, it's very real for some people that they just cannot find the time to train. Then you can change yeah. it. But then again, like what else are you doing in your off time? Like what else can you do to find that time? And so it doesn't necessarily have to leave it or result in a change of career. It could just be a reprioritization of a few things like, Go look at, uh, we were speaking about this before we hit record, like go look at your phone and your screen time on your phone. Like, is that what you want for your week? Like to spend that much time on your phone? Or is it like maybe oh, going the into the gym? sobering thing, isn't it? To look at that screen time number and be like, oh, wow. Okay. I've spent this many hours on these apps. Yeah. This is a a real wake up call that, as you say, the priorities are are out of whack. And it, th- that was the same decision I had to make with, with finance, which was just looking at my boss and saying, okay, if I continue on this trajectory and I do well and I do my homework and I, you know, turn up like a good boy and all that stuff, then I'm going to end up in that guy's position. Do I want to be in his position? Like he doesn't seem that happy. In fact, he's pretty overworked and quite miserable. And he's, he's, he's out of shape because he's got more hours and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's sometimes a bit of a, a painful one to do. Um but that time is gonna pass anyway, so you may as well make sure you're traveling in the right direction. Hi guys, I just wanted to jump in here to tell you that if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to become a better athlete, then you can go ahead and visit rugby-muscle.com and pick up any of our free goodies. That is uh, the 50 free rugby conditioning sessions, the physique nutrition crash course video series, the supplement guide, and newly added is a macro calculator. Yes, that's right, a macro calculator where you will be able to work out your protein, carbs, fat, and calories that you should be eating on a daily basis to give you a guide as to where to start your diet from. This will help in conjunction with your 53 conditioning sessions to build you out a decent little plan that will enable you to take control of your training and use effective training and nutrition to become a better athlete. All that stuff and more can be found at rugby-muscle.com or rugby-muscle.com forward slash macros for the macro breakdown. And the other good thing is that, like, it rids you of that sort of weird envy that you would feel of people that are, quote-unquote, having success because you see their success for, for the work that they're doing as well and for the sacrifices that they're making that 
you don't want to make and that's okay that you don't want to make them mm. like uh yeah the, a lot of the kind of hustle porn characters online seem to like they, they've instilled a, a sense of guilt in everyone by the fact that if you don't want the same level of success that they do that you're somehow an inferior person and the kind of subtext or that's that's never communicated is that actually it comes at the cost of peace and happiness and to be the kind of person who is massively successful requires that you are a highly strong anxious person that's always always on and so that is the the cost that we have to pay Mm -hmm. i think that sort of still boils down to or not boils down to but goes back to what we were talking about before as well with the um with the achieving uh like accomplishments in different realms by being like this is what i want to achieve and it's it's not as hard as you think like you can still live an enjoyable life live a happy and if you especially if it's something that you want to do like it's not it doesn't have to be a grind it can be an enjoyable process as well right um derek sivers talks about um him doing some he he did a a bike ride every every day or whatever and it took him 43 minutes and that's when he was like absolutely blasting it like he was really going for it it was quite unpleasant and he'd come back and then one day he decided to like just be a bit leisurely with it like rather than completely knacking himself on the bike ride he would just go a bit slower and he he stopped for a, for a minute or two just to look at the sun and and he came back and he said his time for that same distance was like 48 minutes and so he was like oh so it's it's actually only like four minutes far uh, slower to to just have a much nicer time to be putting in 70 or 80 percent of the effort and not killing myself in this bike ride and still get most of the result so yeah you know that if you if you really have to be the top 0.01 percent of performers then yeah you're gonna have to grind and it's it's the diminishing returns it comes at a huge cost but yeah but you, you're happier. And it's also like, you've got that room, like, you know, you've got that room then to, and you know, your example uses more time, but most of the, most of the time it's like, it's actually, you get more fun results because you're not what, not like going into the gym 10 times a week, or you're not putting 12 sessions in a week. You're actually just doing the bare minimum, but the people, people sort of get upset at the idea of only doing the minimum. But if you're still getting better, like that is still, number one, it's getting better, but that's still better. And as we touched on earlier, that's still so much better than what most people are doing. That Then if you have the time to, because you've only, that you freed up from only doing the minimum and investing that in other realms, then all of a sudden, like, and this is where it sort of ties perfectly into rugby strength and conditioning. Like if you're only, if you're, the, the amount of work that you would have to put in to get a 220 kilo bench press, say, like if you only have to worry about only getting maybe a 100 kilo bench press, all of that free time has suddenly been freed up. And that could be spent on getting fitter or getting faster. And all of a sudden now you're making real massive improvements towards your actual goal of these diverse realms. Yeah. And a lot of rugby players, particularly the competitive ones, are going to be type paper personalities that want to always overperform and spend more time in the gym if they can but we're operating on the assumption that 
our recovery capacity is this just infinite ditch that you can just keep digging into, but it's not the case. I mean, Mike Isretel explains this concept perfectly, which is that you should always be training between your minimum effective volume and your maximum recoverable volume. So mm-hmm. what, what those two numbers are is what's the minimum that you could get away with doing in the gym and still make gains. And then there's a point you can keep adding sets and keep adding work up to a point where you then you're hitting the maximum speed of gains that you could possibly achieve. If you add in more sets, it's not going to, it's not going to move the ship any faster. Mm-hmm. And if you add in more sets than that, it's probably going to injure you or it's going to dig into your recovery more than you can recover from. So being able to to recognize like, okay, I'm doing enough for this goal and actually adding more is not going to be helpful. How can I take these units of energy and input and turn them into something that's going to be more productive? And I think in most athletes case, that's going to be, how can I recover harder? How can I do the yin mm-hmm. stuff and like really, really optimize my sleep and really nail my relaxation and my off time so that I can perform at my best when I have to. What's cool that you said there is you said how hard I can recover. Uh, And most people would have heard that and thought, oh, okay, so I've got to go into the sauna and do my ice baths and do all that stuff. And then all you said was sleep and relax because that's what recovering is. Yeah, It's (laughs) not worrying, like, it's not stressing out like and getting in an ice bath and trying to do more. Cause again, that's just another perpetuation of the hustle porn is oh recover, but recover hard. Like, no, stop, stop it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let me just how, sleep how long for fuck's sake. Ice bath for and how, and from, I, I've, I've got a video coming out about Dom's uh, this week. And the, the kind of conclusion was that ice and ice baths don't help with, um, long-term muscle recovery they might they might help you not be sore the next day but they're only doing that because they're interfering with the mechanisms of hypertrophy that will actually make you perform better long term so the reason that you're in the gym in the first place yeah yeah so you're 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 now doing an ice bath which is more to do more in the gym to get less results whereas if you actually like pointless remove the ice bath, remove the extra training sessions and you actually get better results. Like, and, and that like, like systematically in itself sort of encompasses everything that we're, we're sort of discussing here. So that's uh, interesting. Um, yeah. have, you, have you done lots of ice baths? I know you've done, you've done a, so many different self-experimentation sort of protocols, uh, sleep, slept on the floor, meditation retreats, uh, like, I think you must've done some sort of ice bath. Oh, you you're a Wim Hof guy, right? Yeah. So I, I have done the Wim Hof approach, which um, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he, he's a guy from Holland who's his wife died and he decided for some reason to make, make friends with the ice. That was his kind of phrasing. And he, he now holds the record for longest time in cold immersion. And, um, he often just goes out to snowy mountains in his shorts and just mm-hmm. travels around and stuff. And he's come up with a breathing method. So his process was 10 weeks of progressive cold exposure with a certain breathing pattern. And it's, it's, it's kind of meant to just make you feel good and um, improve your, your immune response acutely. Um, he's developed a bit of a weird cult following since then. I think it's kind of disproportionate to the, to what he's, <laughs> what he's offering, but you know, internet's a weird place. And I did his approach for about 10 weeks 
to the letter, which was the the cold exposure. Yeah, it's fun. It feels like caffeine. Um, I certainly wouldn't treat it as a recovery thing, although most people like to try and think it is, but it's it's just another way to bash your head against the grindstone, like a way to acutely raise your cortisol and, you know, dive into something hard. Um, but the benefit of it, the main one is like, if you've seen Fight Club, where Tyler says, after a fight, the volume in life has been turned down. So you do something in the, like six in the morning, you step into a cold shower or a nice bath. By the time you're out of that, everything else in the day is actually a bit of a breeze. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even that, like, is almost, they ate, ate, get into 80%. If you could just do 80% Wim Hof, right? You just do the meditation and, and get a bit of cold exposure. Like, you don't have to go full Wim Hof to, to get, like, those, the, how hard that is to get those extra benefits of whatever he's doing with his, uh, is it, is it his brown brown fat metabolism or something going in yeah. there? And he's, he's able to adjust his uh, white blood cells as well or something. I don't know. Like, the, but that ex, that's like the, how exponentially harder it is just to go fully Wim Hof versus just getting a bit of cold in you, doing a bit of meditation, I imagine is like, again, that's probably the, the trick, right? Yeah. This is the choice of like, do, do you want to make being cold your hobby or are you just doing it as a, a bit of fun in which case yeah you can get most of the benefit without having to to hammer it um so i guess what other um sort of experiments have you gone into that you again find that 80 percent, or have you found any where you've actually bought into it 100 percent, where you've said okay i really want to achieve mastery in this or this is actually as good as what it claimed to be because it's i know it's definitely not jaws of size Uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely not jaws of size i think um meditation retreats so that was i'd been a meditator for some time before that i can't remember how many hours i've done maybe six or seven hundred in total by that point and then did the meditation retreat which was 10 days of 10 hours a day with the monks silent retreat two meals a day and that was kind of a blast and cruise thing where you, you go mm-hmm. in for that time, you level up your practice, you level up the quality of your consciousness, and then you go back into the real world. And that is the kind of thing that I I do wish I could go 100% with. And I think that meditation is one of those things where the curve of returns is not, it's not just a normal diminishing returns Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it has like peaks and troughs. So if you did three hours a day for a few months, you would get increasing returns for some time. And then it takes momentum of its own. But I'm I'm just a little willy. That's, that's the reason I, that's the only reason I don't do that. Just because it's boring, because it's hard. Behaviorally, I, you know, I just, I talk myself out of doing it, but I'm very much sold on the benefits of it. And at the end of the day, I think I just need some accountability with it. The same as uh, you hear about the guy who wasn't able to work at home. He was he couldn't focus on his work. So he hired someone for like eight pounds an hour to sit next to him and slap him every time he went off task. <laughs> so he was like, no. he's like, I need to be on Excel 
if I'm not on Excel, if I switch window, slap me. And he said, she didn't slap him once throughout the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's actually just being kept accountable is 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 crazy. But it's also like, I, I was more thinking about when you were talking about being a little willy. Because like, if, you, if I'd have uh, written down the, the thoughts that are going through my head that somehow stopped me from doing my meditation this morning for about 45 minutes of just random procrastination before I finally sat down for 25 minutes that I'm sold on already that I know is going to be better for me. It is, it is ridiculous. But and and you look back on those 45 minutes beforehand and you're like, I could have been meditating. I could have had an absolute mammoth meditation session there. And instead, what was I doing? Like <laughs> rearranging the cereals in the kitchen or, you know, something stupid. And I always feel better when I finish. I always feel better. Like once I've finished my meditate, I've, I've never gone and gone. Oh, that was shit. That was a waste of time. Never. I don't think I've ever, like, even it's like insane, the, the quote unquote bad sits. Yeah. It, it is. A, it's the brain, man. It's such a, um, it's, it's the same sh- two voices as like the, the nighttime TJ at 1am. Who's, who's like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just check my emails a bit more and I'll just do this or whatever. And then there's the 6am TJ who's like, why didn't I go to bed earlier? Yeah. 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 And I guess like it, it does all come down to two things, I think. And, and I think what I try and sell people with rubbing muscle in terms of like how they should treat themselves and their training and their diet as well can be applied to everything. And it's number one, being proactive in the short term. Like, like if I've got a schedule for the next day at 6 a.m. where I've got something to do at 6 a.m., like even if it's like bullshit, if it's in my calendar, I'm I'm way more likely to go to bed early and get get that all sorted. Um, and then also like being as proactive as you can in the short term, putting your sessions in a calendar, like doing that sort of stuff, or even just having sessions planned out, which so many people don't. Um, and then it's long term periodization. So I, I imagine that like. The, what you were saying about the the monk the retreats um and those sorts of things like that's almost periodization for meditation like you said there's sometimes you have exponential benefit by doing three hours for a few months would you would you actually say that these people could do three i guess it's just not practical to do three hours a day every single day right what what's really frustrating about that particular claim is at the end of the 10-day retreat they were like, right guys, you've, you know, you've got some, some good hours in here. We recommend two hours a day from here on in. And you'll, you know, you'll be able to do it because you'll be an hour more productive and you'll sleep an hour less. So, and you're like, oh mate, like I've got no, I've got no object. Like, I've got no. It makes sense. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is it's so yeah. true with the productivity yeah. thing. like same with physical activity as well like training in the morning like everyone is better like even well if you look at japan like they make their staff do aerobics and stuff before before work anyway because they that makes them more productive like when it's like government enforced because they know it it works makes people productive like that's a yeah yeah and yeah Um, we so i think yeah you're right like a lot of it is just about managing our behavior and staying accountable even to ourselves like you said with your calendar to just make sure that we turn up and do the thing 
but and then even to, I guess even taking another step back from that. So it's, it's being proactive in the short term, putting stuff in your in your short term calendar, getting periodization down, knowing what you've you're trying to do for the next few months, so you're not following like sort of shiny up. You're not just trying the next butterfly that's flying around. And then even further, taking another step back is what actually do you want out of all of this? And it's those three steps that are really difficult because they stop you from just being a part of the noise, but like profoundly, like ridiculously beneficial. And it doesn't stop, right? So you're not, you don't just do it once and go, okay, I'm done. Like it's, it's a daily thing, I guess. Yeah, you've got to be constantly reminding yourself that the main thing is the main thing. And I think that's where the value in having a an annual target or a three-year goal and driving everything towards that so that when you wake up on your kind of most dopey day when you're not really mm-hmm. kind of aware of what's, you know, because you, you can't expect yourself to always be have this high-level planning module in your head at all times and so knowing that you can just turn up and and do what you need to do because you've separated the planning from the execution is key and not, and like it still works like if, if you if you're only like if you only got to get in two gym sessions a week like that infinitely that straight away makes your your week so much easier um and it means that you can be less hard on yourself because that's the other problem is that like it's very easy to just follow that noise and, and, and constantly be in this sort of cycle of sabotage and then being hard on yourself and then setting an unrealistic like expectation of yourself and then an unrealistic expectation of what you can achieve and what you can actually do to achieve that like we all fall for it um and it's why we sort of have to rely on things like headspace where they say oh you know just meditate for five minutes a day or they've got like 30 second meditations as well and to sort of kid people in is that i know this isn't i get i get this is something i did want to discuss with you because i know you've spoken to a number of meditation experts is that like the equivalent of doing 30 second abs for meditation <laughs> benefits like you know what i mean yeah so I, I'm, I'm a bit conflicted about this because i i definitely agree that like with certain habits just getting the habit done is more important than doing it for a long time so i think maybe with something like tidying if you could say, I'm just going to do one minute of tidying every day, um, would mean that you, over time, you would accumulate and you'd, you'd make some progress with it. And often, once you've done a minute, you're like, oh, I may as well continue because I've, I've got the momentum now. Mm-hmm. But with meditating, yeah, I think it's more like six minute abs or, or 30 second abs in that you probably, I can see the, the James Clear mentality of like, if you just do a tiny bit, the barriers to doing it is low. So it's low friction to just getting started, but do that for a month and you'll be like, well, this is pointless. Like I'm not feeling any benefit from it. Uh So you could, depending on your mentality, flip it the other way. And this is what um, me and my business partner, Johnny were talking about. He, he came to me and he was like, Yusuf, I'm, I'm meditating like three minutes in the mornings and I'm not, not really feeling it. I feel like it's maybe just a scam. Uh I don't think meditation does anything. And I was like, well, right, you're pissing around with three minutes in the mornings, just for the next 10 days, do 30 minutes every day, and then come back to me in 10 days and tell me you don't feel any different. And he was like, right, screw you, fine, I'm going to do that. And then he did, and he was like, yep, fine, I'm sold. So sometimes it could just take 
a bit of overwhelming effort to say, I'm going to do enough to actually get a result here. And then that result becomes the motivator. Yeah. It, it's like that. Um, it's like the, that's, there's a reason I'm not saying you can only go to the gym one time a month, right? Like that, that isn't going to get you the benefit. Like uh, there, there has to be some sort of minimum there somewhere, like expectation of what you want to put in. And I think that's, that's another thing that people get missold a lot, I guess with, both the apps of the meditation and with six minute abs or whatever it is, it's like there is acknowledgement of some sort of level of effort that you have to put in is fucking really important. Yeah. Um, even to get to 80%, like you don't even have to worry about the, the 100, but just to get to 80% still requires a good deal of work. But then also it's more about at that point, it's about the consistency, right? It's like, the, the level that you have to put in is just has to be rigorously consistent as opposed to working your ass off for two weeks. Um, yeah. And, and to do that, you've got to be sold on the practice or on the result. Right. Yeah. Because you, because most people aren't, because most people want benefits right away. And it's once you acknowledge that it's the long term, like that's the good thing about setting yourself that one year or three year goal is that like, who gives a fuck like what exactly what you do today? Like if you miss a session, it's okay. Like a new sort of thought experiment I've been playing with a lot of people is like, how much are you going to benefit from this one training session? Like nothing, like not really. It's that's not, you're not, you're not achieving anything in that one session, but it's the, the weeks of the sessions that add up that give you the benefit. And it's the same thing for, anything really i guess it's like how much like go to go back to you uh, in medical school like how much do you learn in one class probably so, not that much because you're so overwhelmed but once you get those things in place over time after how many years is it you have to so for me it was six years um and yeah you're right because it's a spiral curriculum so each each time you go each time you go up a year <laughs> you're going over the same systems, but one layer, one mm. layer deeper or one layer more. Um, so yeah, things kind of, they, if you just did the first year of medicine, you'd, you'd have a bunch of niche knowledge about stuff that isn't that applicable, but combine that with years two, three, four, five, and six. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Something has clicked now and it's all fits together. Mm. Interesting. So I guess, that's is that the real the hardest thing about all of this is figuring out like that lowest barrier to entry that, that you mirror you, you said you have my kids retail minimum effective volume of whatever you and finding out what you want to achieve like and then sticking with that like those yeah. are the, i guess that's I, th I think that's it and you know as, as i say luckily we most of most things the path is laid out really well if you want to get into your best shape for rugby and perform at your best, like the path is laid out by, by you. So um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can, you can, you can hire TJ and be like, all now my responsibility is actually turning up and doing the work rather than having the additional burden of figuring out what is the work I'm supposed to do and then try and do it. Because if you do that, particularly with your training, you're going to be second guessing yourself as well. Martin Burkan, the, the lean gains, um, 
founder would basically keep a folder of his own name on his computer called Martin and treat it like any other client. So he would have mm-hmm. his folder in with his client folder when he's managing his own diet and stuff. Cause he was like, otherwise I'll just sit and tinker with it all day. Yeah. I, I, I have a coach for that same process, like, or, or to help with that same thing because I, it's, and then it becomes, it's still, and I think the word experiment is, is where it gets lost. It's still self-experimentation, but it's like, it's not an experiment where you're completely coming up with everything yourself. It's like the experiment you do in chemistry in like year two, where, don't do chemistry in year two, but you know, get my point. Yeah, um, you, you know what the outcome's going to be, and you're following a, a framework. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's so. And sometimes that the outcome might not actually be what you expected, but because you followed the the guideline, you should be able to look back and figure out where it went wrong, and then therefore correct it. Or you realize, ah, oh, I don't actually want to do that. You, know, you can move on. But yeah, self experimentation is cool. But when it's done and done effectively, I guess. Um, and there's a there's a huge psychological burden that's lifted when you hire a coach because you just like, oh, brilliant. Like they'll do the decision making and the thinking and stuff, and I can just turn up and do my sessions. And it's brilliant. You get the objectivity. You it, it's not even like I, I imagine the reason that you hired a coach is not like for your training, is not because of a deficit of knowledge particularly is just that you want someone to be able to handle it for you. And then you've got the objectivity and you're accountable to someone. It saves me so much time because I, I I get like, and it's funny that that's actually what happens because I know that's what happens when you hire a coach because literally every single uh, client I work with outside of the people that are sort of just getting their, getting their hooks into getting fit and stuff. The vast majority of people like, have said, you know, how much time I've saved them. Um, that like, I didn't realize that would be the benefit of me being the coach, but it, it appears to be. And then it makes sense because it's the exact same thing for me because I would, I, I, you know, I'm getting stronger and I'm only doing two or three like proper strength sessions a week. Um, like, and if I was, do, if I was in control, I'd be, I'd be saying, okay, I'm getting stronger. I'm only doing two or three. Why shouldn't I do four? Yeah. five like I've, i can do it i've got time but there's 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 simply no need and that's something people don't because now i can spend those time that time either recovering uh focusing on my work doing so many different things right now i'm i'm running a shit ton um and trying to surf and, and do jujitsu like there's so many other things that i don't need to be that i can be doing that don't need to be training for strength because i'm already getting better I'm yeah. still getting better. So Mike yeah. Kisretel talked about, um, he was like, if someone offered you two burritos that are exactly the same, totally identical, but one is $3, one's $7. Like, why would you <laughs> buy the $7 one? Like it's the same. Yeah. 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 I'm not, I'm not going to get like at my training age, just getting stronger full stop is, is fucking huge. Brilliant. Yeah. Like, I don't like, why do I need to eat into my recovery or my time more? Like if I can just continue to following that path, saving time, it's ridiculous. So yeah, uh, I'm selling myself again on my own, on my, uh, on my own things that I'm already doing. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess that, that, I mean, we're, we're run over a little bit, but I don't, uh, 
I'll get into the last three questions if you if you've still got the time for them. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, health and fitness in twenty years time, what does it look like? Oh, you know what, TJ? I think this is either a very scary answer or it's a very empowering one, and I don't know which way it's going to go. So, we're we're seeing the advent of tracking devices, and I think what this is going to do is, I oh, there we go, the aura ring. So that's either going to open up a world of preemptive medicine, uh, crowdsourcing of medical science, bringing together like people's constant um, data points and figuring out what's what's causing disease very early on and changing the course of medicine so that we're no longer reactive and we're becoming more proactive. But the other risk of that is that rather than this being a kind of open-sourced sort of source of data it goes the other way and mm-hmm. that data is is then used to fuel privatized healthcare insurance companies and not benefit the patient so much um, so for example when you have to do a capture you try and log into something and it says oh click on all the fire hydrants click on all the mm-hmm. bicycles whatever the system already knows that you're um, a human from the movement of your mouse. But the reason it's always road related, like bridges and traffic lights and stuff is that it's, they're training the AI for the self-driving cars, which is, which is kind of annoying. Cause it's like, I hate that. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just being used as a workforce. So, so there's that, but also what they're finding now is they're able to pick up on very subtle tremors of the mouse, whether someone has very kind of pre early onset, uh, pre symptomatic Parkinson's disease. Now, no there's an ethical question there of what do you do with that bit of information? Do you do you pass it on to the, the person's insurer? Do you tell the patient? Because do they have a right to know that? There's so many questions. And, and until those questions are nailed, we're going to end up with a situation where data companies, social media companies, have more information about our health than we do. And I I don't know. I think it depends really on whether the whole Apple Android model of consumer data mm-hmm. starts to prevail. Mm. It's interesting because I I've, I literally started wearing this again um, like last week because uh, I, I packed it in after a while because I just realized um, I'm like, this isn't monitoring my sleep. It isn't really helping me in any way. Like it's not giving me any feedback that I wouldn't be doing anyway. Um, and then when I got my, um, I got, this is a Garmin as well, which is, I use it for my running and stuff. Um, I was like, this isn't giving me anything that my Garmin isn't giving me. I'm just going to sack it off. And then the other day, um, I was listening to a podcast on, from a, some sort of longevity expert. I can't remember who it was, but he was saying at the end of the day, this is still giving me data. If I'm not paying attention to it, I'm still collecting more and more and more health data that, you know, if I, wore this for 10 years like that's an incredible amount of data that it's got on me and even if you know it's not accurate in in terms of what it interprets out of the data now just having that data could be like huge and we yeah, said about the, the downside to it like you've, you've right. got you i mean as far as wearing a watch that's not a massive inconvenience really so no yeah and like in 10 years time if they understand a little bit more of what to do with it and i go see the gp with a problem that you know he could he can then 
sift through. I'm assuming he's not going to sift through the the actual raw data itself, but there'll be some sort of output, hopefully, that gets put in his uh, in his direction, and and therefore we can actually get a lot better about predicting this stuff. Then, yeah, I I hope so, and I just hope it falls into the right hands. That's the I guess that's the key. But I think inevitably it must be able to in 20 years. I think it will go wrong before it probably, oh, it's already going wrong, right? But it will then go right. Yeah, um, I suppose it's it's got to calibrate at some point, doesn't it? I, I would like to think so, but that's that's super interesting. What about the realm of like actual fitness? Because Johnny seemed to be pretty bleak when I asked, when I asked him about it. He was like, ah, it'll just be all the same. Eventually, I think I talked him into the the appetite control pills that we'll get to oh uh, yeah outside that's, of that like that people still want to get fit and they'll still be just as missold because there's money to be there's more, so much like the vast majority of uh the fitness industry like the vast the vast vast majority of money is made on misselling people like think how popular v-shred is and think i still like all that nonsense is still like at the forefront it's not like we it's, it's yeah. like uh, yeah so we were saying earlier we think we're getting somewhere but actually it's just we're changing the circle of people that we're hanging around with not i think that's a very wise way of looking at it that the fundamentals of human nature of looking for the shortcut and looking for the magic pill are always going to be there and in 20 years that's not going to change so if there's a route for for people and marketers to to exploit that they will in 20 yeah. years just with better technology maybe and this this depends on the kind of course of development of peptides um there may be a, some big changes in as you say drugs that improve appetite control drugs that improve um or reduce sarcopenia these kind of these kind of things that could affect mm. people's health outcomes but at the end of the day, it's going to be very hard to replace exercise in terms of the kind of multi-system cascade of stuff that that happens. So you'll still just have the same people exercising and you'll still have a, a subset of people that just won't regardless. And, you know, as people become more wealthy as a, you know, as humans, as we become generally like the standard mm-hmm. of living improves, more and more people exercise, more people take their health seriously so hopefully we'll it'll continue on the positive trend that we're seeing this decade but um then again like food engineering and the ability to make us all obese has also got much better in the last 20 30 years so it'll kind of be a race between those two yeah and even then with the food engineering though like think about the um like the fact that halo top uh, the ice cream or quest bars exist. Like if you'd have told me they exist like 20 years ago, like and how they're everywhere now and the, the macros and some of them, they're still not quite there. You've still not got this cheap bar that tastes amazing. That has the best macros. Like you've always got to sacrifice one of those things. Yeah. But still, I don't know. I'm getting, it's never going right to like, like people are still get still drinking full sugar Coke. <laughs> You know, that, that so boggles true. my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's... It's the same as Diet Coke. And then people are like, oh, no, I don't like Diet Coke. And you're like, it's it's the same drink. I saw, like, I literally saw yesterday a comment of someone saying, I've never seen a skinny person drink a Diet Coke. And I'm just like, 
that's <laughs> firstly massively untrue. And it's so like the wrong thought process in so many ways. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even know what the what their point is with that. Um, and then also, yeah, and like protein powder as well is like much te- like or just in general like whey protein. I think that will. There's so many ways of making our lives slightly easier that they'll add up. But at the end of the day, the big struggles will still be, I guess, the big struggles, and it's the. Uh, the suffer the suffering of others doesn't actually lessen the suffering of yourself. So your your suffer your suffering is still your suffering. So it's still going to be just as difficult, but the the actual way or the way we recognize it will be just as difficult. But the actual mechanisms will probably still be significantly easier, I reckon. Yeah. It, I think that's right. It it might become slightly more convenient, but you've still got to do the work. Yeah. That's bang on. All right. What's one song everyone needs on their gym playlist? Wanna Play by The Prophet. Ooh. That is an absolute banger. Okay. Interesting. Would uh, would recommend. Uh Johnny Johnny the one Johnny recommended nearly blew my blew my ears out, but <laughs> I can imagine, uh, yeah. No, he he put me onto some angry stuff. Um Alex Viada put me onto something that was ridiculously aggressive. But also had a, I think it had a banjo solo in the middle of it. So <laughs> can't beat it then. That sounds yeah, like a perfect song. Yeah. Um, but th- th- this playlist is getting more and more ridiculous. Let me one more time. What is it? I'm gonna make sure so it's called it. "Wanna Play" by the Prophet. Play. Okay. We'll get on that. And then uh, finally, how can Prophet listeners? Playlist. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it together now. We've got enough songs. Oh, fantastic. Cin- Cindy Cindy Lauper's on there as well, though. So <laughs> I guess you get quite a range, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the point, is that like well, the point of Cindy Lauper would be no no, is that like you're not supposed to be ready to lift because of the music that you listen to. You should be ready to lift anyway. I like but, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right. So how can listeners get in touch and, and follow more of your wacky experiments or find out if they want to start an online fitness business um, or if they want to just, if they're a busy professional, just wants to lose weight. At propane fitness across any channel. So I, I would, I think out of all the channels, I'd recommend YouTube and Twitter, probably the most fun, but we have a, we have an Instagram as well. So that's propane as in the gas propane fitness. Okay. I'll put those all in the, uh, all in the links below. Um, Amazing. We um, try to respond to all messages and, and comments and stuff too. So do get in touch if there's anything we can help with. All right. Yeah. People that have Twitter have been dying for someone on Twitter. I'm, I'm sure. Cause I, I never even acknowledge its existence. I think I'm, I'm surprised that you said it's the best. I, it's so negative. It's like, yeah, it certainly can be. I think it's a, a black hole if you follow the wrong people. And the more I figure, the more I think about it, the more I realize why, because it's like, it's like a lot less personal. Cause at least on Instagram, you see people's face, you know, like you know, most aggressive posts on Instagram are still just going to be the text feature. They're never, yeah. they're never people actually saying like they're aggressive things. Cause it, you, you don't want to, it's not in our nature to do that stuff. It's just keyboard warrior syndrome, isn't it? Like it's always anonymous accounts that, give it the big in. And uh, I've, I've found with Twitter using the, the certain trigger words. So it, whenever I tweet about vaccines or um, certain, like certain things that 
you know are the hot buttons for the internet. I get a bunch of angry Vegan. DMs and comments and stuff, but and I, I, I love that the, the idea in my head of people going onto Twitter, searching for a particular topic that they're passionate about, and finding everyone that dislikes that topic or doesn't agree with their views, just get really angry. Like, what, what, what are you way doing? to live your life? Like, <laughs> how, how to stress yourself out? One hundred and one. I don't think that person has taken uh, their three-year plan and figured out what they actually <laughs> want to do on their day-to-day with their life. What, like, you could take. A billion people, not one person would say that that would be what they want to do with their day. No. Yeah. Maybe there is. <laughs> if you ask enough people, there'll be someone who just loves doing that. So that's, that's my fucking jam. Like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and and then that's how big the internet is, because there's enough of those people that they find you. That's it, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, mate, um, it's been great talking to you. Um, really enjoyed this pleasure, one. man. Me too. Yeah. Um, so go go follow Yusuf. Uh, go follow Propane uh, Fitness. Follow the weird experiments he has. Uh, the YouTube's are, that's my favorite one. Um, so yeah, go follow there. And uh, thank you for coming on, mate. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode of the Robbie Muscle Podcast, then I've got a quick little request and a potential prize giveaway for you if you do said request. All I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and type up a five-star review. Just your general opinions of the podcast would be great feedback, but also helps us reach higher rankings, get more exposure, allow me to attract more guests and devote more time to developing a better all-around podcast experience for you. All you have to do once again is go and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast service you use. Let me know that you've got it. And then every single week, I'll be selecting one review to give away a free prize. That free prize will be either one free month of Team Rugby Muscle. That's our world-class strength condition program app delivered directly to your phone. Or if that doesn't interest you, then we've got one free consultation where I'll, I'll go over your training program, your nutrition, and advise you how to best plan for your goals. Even if none of those things interest you, it's still doing me a solid and helping the podcast grow by going and giving us a five-star review. There's no real excuse. It takes like one minute and that helps the show out exponentially. So I'd really appreciate if you could do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you in the next one.